manna and quail. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you would grumble against us? And the second reading today comes from Matthew 6.11. Give us today our daily bread. Thank you for your welcome, and it's, it's, uh, it's good to be here. You know, it's an interesting process. If I'm at Seeds Aberfoyle, I know what the preacher said the week before. I don't know what Mark said. I mean, I'm sure it was orthodox. <clears throat> uh, but, but I may repeat things that he said, and I, I apologize for that up front, but maybe if I do repeat them, they're worth repeating. Because the reason I say that is when I was looking at this single verse, give us today our daily bread, it seemed to me there were two issues there. It seemed to me there's an issue of prayer and there's an issue of bread or food. And so I felt I needed to deal with both of those, uh, even if Mark's dealt a bit with prayer already. You know, in the ancient world, it was, it was very much a praying world. Everybody prayed. Everyone had gods. Uh, and, and even today, often if you say to someone, even if they follow no particular religion, would you like me to pray for you? They'll say, well, I won't pray myself, but I'd love you to pray for me. So prayer is it's not an uncommon thing. People want to do it. They get prayer. But many of the religions at, at Jesus' time had really long and complex prayers. They thought that was the important thing to make it you know, really significant. And, and if it was a really important issue where well, you, you prayed for a longer time and you used more complex words, and somehow they thought that their God would, would hear that and, and, uh, and do something about it. So you might like to read the passage prior to today's because that gives some advice about prayer. It says, for example, don't babble like the pagans who think they'll be heard because of their many words. And don't make prayer an exhibition. You know, don't do it in public with fancy words and everyone looks at you and thinks, what a great prayer you are. He says, don't do that. But just pray to your heavenly Father, uh, often on your own. I think what's being raised in the Lord's Prayer is the nature of praying to our Heavenly Father. In fact, I was reading Tom Wright's commentary about this on the book of Matthew. 
And he says that the content of the Lord's Prayer shows what it means to have a Heavenly Father. The prayer is a simple framework that covers having a relationship with God. So it's a great guide for us to know what that's like. In Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, the disciples say, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. And I think there's a couple of things going on there. I think one of them is that they saw Jesus just praying all the time and saw him often praying on his own. So they're probably thinking, I wonder what he does. Tell us, Jesus, what you do when you go away and pray. But the second thing I wondered was, I wonder if they noticed there was something different about how Jesus prayed. Whether there was a qualitative difference in his prayers to their prayers, that there was a different quality, a different intensity. I'm reading a book at the moment called The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. And he recounts a story in there of attending a prayer breakfast. I don't know if you've ever been to a prayer breakfast and Often there's a lot of uh, Christian leaders and disciples and stuff, and they get together and there's usually breakfast and then there's a speaker. But on this occasion, a 76-year-old African-American man was asked to say grace. So before anything else happened, this elderly guy stood up. And Mark said he was sitting kind of right at the back. It was a big venue, hundreds of people. And he said it was actually quite hard to hear what he was saying. But he said his faith was palpable. So just the way he prayed was convicting. So the guy finished and, and Mark turned to his table companions and, and they were all church leaders. And Mark said, I feel like I've never prayed before in my life. There was just something so different about this guy. And what's Mark's book about? It's about prayer. Mark's a prayer. But when he heard this guy, he thought, oh, that's how you pray. So I wonder whether the disciples noticed that Jesus' prayers were different to their own, that they had such an intensity that demonstrated a familiarity with the Father, an intimacy with the Father. You know, so I think a good prayer is all about engaging with the Father. And just to quote another passage from Scripture, which I guess has got nothing to do with prayer, it's, it's a sharing of heart, of mind, of soul, and of strength. Two beings engaged in a way where nothing's held back. You've probably had conversations like that with friends. You know, really trusted friends. Where you just feel like you can say anything. In fact, you need to say it because otherwise the, the relationship would be demeaned. So maybe there was a qualitative difference. You know, at the deepest level, I think prayer merges into, into love, uh, into the presence of God, and what we discover is grace and mercy and God's delight in us. So the Lord's Prayer begins with our Father in heaven. The prayer is addressed to God. And, and indeed, an item Mark said this, but every verse prior to the one I'm talking about today talks about God and talks to God. You know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's all about God, and that's, that's the framework for what we're talking about today. We acknowledge God first, 
And that gives us the appropriate focus for our prayer. And, and we pray to the Father who knows our needs. He knows who we are and just delights for us to be one with him. So prayer isn't some kind of transaction where if I do this, God will do that. It's, it's about a relationship of being together. So it's not about bringing a shopping list. You can bring a shopping list to God and not engage with God at all. It's about coming to God and being with God. And the final thing I want to say about prayer before I get to my particular verses, I don't know if you've noticed this, and but the whole prayer is said in the plural. This is not a private prayer. This is a people's prayer. Our Father, give us today. Forgive us as we forgive and lead us not, but deliver us. So while we certainly pray for our own needs and, and we, we you know, bring those before God, it's much more than that. So even as we pray, give us today our daily bread, it's, it's about the needs of the world, not just our own. I think the, 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 that bread is chosen very deliberately because bread of some kind has been kind of the staple thing in most cultures in the world. Some obviously rice and various things like that, and it's a little bit more complicated with people that are GF, but there's, there's still GF breads and so on. There's some staple, and we're praying to God, give us that, give us that to eat. Give us our daily bread. And as you might have picked up from what Naomi read, the Lord's Prayer, I think, relates back to that time in the wilderness. The Hebrew people are grumbling. And I'm not going to talk about grumbling. I'm, you know, I, I don't know whether you come to God grumbling. And I, I, in a sense, I don't think it's bad if you do come say, God, I, I hate this. It's dishonest. But they were just grumbling all the time because God wasn't doing what they wanted. But it's the story from Exodus, the provision of manna and a quail in the wilderness when the Hebrews were hungry. And you would have noticed it was a daily provision. Uh, five days, one day's meals were given, and then two for the last one, so that on the Sabbath they didn't have to work. If the people tried to collect more, you can read more of that reading. If they collected more, it just went rotten. Well, why did God do that? Why didn't God just give a whole lot? Why were there leftovers? I think that manna was a daily reminder of their dependence on God. It was God that brought them out of Egypt. It was God that sustained them in the wilderness. God wanted to develop this deep dependence of the people on him. And so then the Sabbath becomes a celebration of what God has provided for us. So when the manna and the quail turned up, as, as you would have seen, the Hebrews knew that it was the Lord who would deliver them. You know, when there's food in abundance, I think we can forget to trust God. That's one of the problems we have in the Western world with so much. We can think, oh, we can do this on our own. We don't need God. It's part of our trouble here. But Jesus wants us to trust the Father as the provider. And spiritual maturity, you know, you guys, me, getting wiser and wiser in the sense of our faith does not bring self-sufficiency. It brings greater dependence. I think it also relates to the daily pay rate. And if you've read your Bible, you'll notice there's lots of stories that talk about it in Darius. One day's pay. So if a, if a person worked, they'd get one day's pay for their family. If they didn't work, the family went hungry. 
no social security, no handouts. It was all about one day's pay. Now, each morning I try and, um, and go for quite a long walk. And on Wednesday this week, uh, it must have been just before school time, and I ended up walking down the road, and there's this group of four school students in front of me, quite young, I imagine primary school, three guys and a girl. Uh, they were in no hurry to get to school because they had plenty of time. Maybe that was the reason. They had plenty of time to get there. Um, they have this lovely conversation, and there's just this bubble going on as they're talking about all the stuff that had happened since they saw each other after school the day before. And because they weren't walking fast, I, I passed them. And I guess they were talking about someone who was just that bit older and had a job. But as I exactly walked past them, past them, one, one student said to the other three, oh, this guy is so rich. And I thought, oh, this would be interesting. Anyway, he, he went on, he said, I heard he's got three K in the bank, $3,000, three K. Pretty good having three K in the bank. Anyway, the smallest student, and it was really quite, quite short. He just turned to the others and he said, gee, if I had three K, I'd eat so much pizza. Cut, 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 cut. Yeah. You know, when there's a, when there's a surplus, you don't need to depend on God. And so I think God wants to grow that in us. And I don't think it's accidental at all the way this prayer is written that our reading today comes after your will be done. So even as we ask for bread, your will be done. You know, we often focus on, on, on where we're going, what we're doing, but I think God's main concern is who we are, who we're becoming. So I guess a question I have for you today is when you say, Give us today our daily bread. What, it's saying, what is it saying about you as a person? Is it saying you trust God even whether it happens or not? Or is it saying something else? You'll know. But it's really, being, it's really worth being honest about the motives of our prayers. You know, are they about our needs alone or our comfort? Or is it allowing God to do what God chooses? Even if you're hungry. I think if we seek God, the answers will come, but not necessarily the ones we look for. As I was preparing this uh, sermon, it's, it, I don't know what it's like for you, Mark, but it's, a, it's an interesting process. That as soon as you start to think about a scripture and begin praying about it, and stuff, stuff drops out of the sky, and you remember things you haven't thought about uh, for decades. And that happened to me this time. This story came to mind. Uh, it's a story of a cousin of mine. I, I, I must have heard it 30 years ago or 40 years ago. I don't know. But I rang her to refresh my memory. And while I asked if I could use the story, I didn't actually say, can I say who you are? So I'm not going to give you their names. Liz will be wondering who this is. So these events happened in the late 80s. Some of you weren't around then. But at the time, my cousin's husband was out of work and they had four young children, including a baby. So husband out of work, my cousin wasn't working either because of all the kids. And then we talk about enormous interest rates now and mortgages that at that time it was 17%. So you might like think what your mortgage is and see what it would cost you to pay 17%. It was a tough time. 
It was a hard time to make ends meet. Now, this family made an interesting decision. They decided that they made a really clear decision to live by faith. So they didn't tell others what was going on, even their parents. They didn't tell their parents how hard it was for them to get by day by day. They made the decision not to worry about money. And when you've got almost nothing, that's, that's a really interesting decision to make. But then she also said, you know, when we started getting more money, we continued to decide not to worry about money. And you can have a lot of money and worry about it. You have a lot of money and not worry about it. I don't think they ever got to the lot of money, but they made this decision not to worry about it. So one of the one of the results of this was they couldn't afford cow's milk. That might seem, you know, a bit strange to you, but they could not afford to buy cow's milk uh, for breakfast. So each day they'd make powdered milk for their children. Um. As I say, that might seem really strange, but I can actually remember the time, particularly my older kids, where we couldn't afford to use full cow's milk, so we used to water it down. And it was half powdered and a half cow's. And I can tell you my older kids still remember that. Because you know it tastes differently. Uh, so anyway, on the morning of that this story uh, stems, stems from, there was not enough powdered milk in the cupboard, so just the dregs in the bottom of the bag. And so my cousin's husband poured that into the jug, this tiny bit at the bottom. Um, but he still had to make a jug full because that's how much he needed for the cereal for the kids. And then right before his eyes, he noticed this thing. No matter how much water he put into the jug right to the top, it stayed the same concentration. And I don't, I don't think they'd actually would say, we, we didn't know. We didn't know exactly know what happened there. But it feels like such a miracle to me. Give us today our daily milk. And it happened. And when I talked to my cousin on the phone, she said, you know, it was a really rich time for us. She didn't talk about how hard it was. She said there, there was this type of real richness in our relationship with God because give us today our daily bread was a real thing. And they found God faithful. And, you know, I could go on and say, you know, you can pray your prayers and God's going to answer and it's all going to be fantastic. But I wouldn't be telling the truth, would I? Because often when we pray, we don't notice. There's a mystery about prayer. But we don't control the outcome. I think it's important to, to name that. Yes, to pray every day and every day to say, give us today our daily bread. But I found it interesting in the scriptures that when Jesus came along, he began to talk about bread in a different way. You know, when, when he was first uh, tempted in the wilderness, so this was before his public ministry, he's out in the desert, and, and the tempter comes. This is in Matthew 4, if you want to look it up. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So this word bread is all the way through. And Jesus replied, remember, it is written, you shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So something is added to the physical bread that we, we think about. There's something even more important. Relationship matters. And this is picked up on the Sermon on the Mountain, where Jesus gives all of this teaching on the mountain. And there's this passage called the Beatitudes, which is about blessings and so on. 
one of the lines is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be fueled. They'll be fueled. Something like my cousin was talking about, I think. It was a hard time, but we were fueled. Daily food's important, but there's something else as well. Then in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 6, Jesus encounters a, a crowd, the 5,000 mentioned before. And then there's the question, where do we get bread for all these people? You know, so many. But Jesus blessed and there was enough. And I actually think significantly there, there were leftovers. I think that's saying something. Well, the manna in the wilderness was one thing. But now Jesus has come, there's actually even more. There's leftovers as well that don't go rotten. Not surprisingly, the, you know, some hours later or the next day, the people are hungry again and they come back. And Jesus says, don't work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life. You know, there's something that nourishes us, not only now, but forever. And then Jesus actually refers to the story of the manna in the wilderness we had before. Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And one of the listeners says, Sir, give us that bread always. And at that point, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So he's really pushing them to a different place. Jesus is the bread who comes down from heaven. And he says, your ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness, but they died. But here is bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Now, I think you deal with some of that stuff around Easter time. So what I want to say to you today, you know, give us today our daily bread, absolutely, and pray it every day. Pray it with persistence. Um, pray for the, for the world, for the community, as well as for your own needs. But pray also to know the bread of life. That will sustain you to eternity. I wanted us to use the song now uh, called Goodness, uh, The Goodness of God. I think it fits so well because it talks about a faithful God, uh, a God who is for us. And it has this lovely scene of God running, which of course comes from the story of the prodigal son. You know, where the father sees the son who's gone away and blown all his inheritance and he runs to that son. So embarrassing in Jewish culture. But this is the God we've got. And, and this song also calls us to surrender. God, give us today our daily bread.